This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile. 5G makes business sense. Good morning, you're listening to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mukhtar. Every country is grappling with the existential threat of climate change, but for the little red dot of Singapore, the challenges are especially acute. It has limited land size and natural resources, but is also one of the most densely populated metropolises in the world. So what is the island state's plan to ensure that Singapore not only survives, but manages to thrive in the face of climate change? Joining me today to discuss this is Grace Fu, Minister for Sustainability and the Environment of Singapore. Minister Fu, good morning. Thank you very much for joining me today. Good morning. Salamat pagi. It's my great pleasure to be here. Well, last month, the United Nations issued a summary of its global stock take. Uh, that's the report card on the implementation of the Paris Agreement. And the findings indicate that the world is woefully behind in preventing global warming from exceeding 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. We're already at 1.2 degrees. What would failure to meet the Paris Agreement targets mean for Singapore? Actually, it is a threat to the entire world. We are talking about loss of biodiversity, species of wildlife may not survive. And of course, with a warmer world, we're talking about probably more wildfires, more extreme weather events, which means that sometimes you get rain when you're not expecting it in places that you're not expecting and not prepared for it. Or sometimes when you're hoping for rain, uh, for, your, for your harvesting, for your you know, agriculture, and you're not getting it. Uh, so that's really has immense impact. And we're talking about the physical environment being affected. We're talking about probably, you know, a lot more drier conditions and wet at the same time, both droughts and flood at the same time. Uh, and also its impact on the water system. So we're talking about probably, you know, warmer sea that affects the wildlife in there. We're talking about probably, you know, um, having impact on, say, your food system because, you know, there's volatility in crop yield and therefore affecting prices as well. Mm. So really, it's going to be a very, very important factor uh, to the stability of the world. Um, just an example of water, if you have a, a river that is supporting a large community and it's drying up, so it's impacting the, the hydro that's supplying the renewable energy, it's affecting transportation, um, and of course, I think the, the livelihoods of people around the river is going to be affected. For Singapore, uh, we are talking about extreme weather events as well. It's getting warmer in Singapore. We're breaking records on the hottest day. We've reached 37 degree this year. At the same time, also, how do we prepare for in more severe floods uh, or sea level rise or storm surge that's going to come our way? Mm. You know, all this uh, ice caps that's melting at both ends of the world, it's not going to stay in the north and the south poles. It's going to come to the tropics. Mm. So we're talking about, you know, sea level rise that's exceeding a meter plus storm surging. That's going to bring it to three, four, five meters. So are we ready for that? Are we ready to protect our people, their lives, their properties, when the sea level is going to come that high? Mm. So for us, it's really looking at a resilience, resiliency of our you know, infrastructure. It's talking about our water system. It's talking about our food system. Um, so many, many areas where that's going to be impacted. Plus the fact 
that if you have warmer world, workers outdoor is going to have difficulties, you know, doing their work. So many areas. That's right. And I want to talk a little bit about the carbon emissions targets, right? Because in November last year, Singapore updated its UN climate change pledges. You are committed to achieving net zero emissions by 2050. You also intend to reach peak emissions before 2030, among other targets. Now, these revised commitments have been deemed as critically insufficient based on fair share and highly insufficient based on domestic modeling pathways. And this is according to the Climate Action Tracker an independent scientific research project monitoring government uh, climate action. Do you think this is a fair assessment? And does this just show how difficult it is for us to actually achieve the Paris Agreement goals? Uh, This is not a fair assessment uh, because when we have Paris Agreement, um, it's really on the basis that there's common but differentiated responsibility. So if you look back, maybe 20 years back, we have Kyoto Protocol, which was really the earlier version of a global agreement. And it was a top-down agreement. In other words, we have to go one and a half degrees and therefore what's what's what do we need as, as a group? Mm. And that didn't go well at all because countries are starting from different points. Uh, they have different contexts, they have different constraints, and you can't apply a same rule on all the countries, regardless of their sizes, regardless of their circumstances. Mm. So that didn't progress well. And, and so the world decided that that's not the model. Let's look for another model on climate. And that's Paris Agreement, which is on the basis that, okay, let's all do our very best taking into consideration your economic status, uh, where you are as far as development is concerned, and how do you, you know, transit at your own pace, do your very best, but taking into your own consideration, national context, for example. And that's why we have this very important agreement, which is common but differentiated responsibility. Mm-hmm. We have a common responsibility because the world is, you know, is a collective global commons that we need to protect. But at the same time, we have differentiated responsibilities. The developed countries that have already progressed, that have already made economic progress, are already you know, uh, well endowed. They should really bear more responsibility on climate action. Doesn't, that, doesn't Singapore fall under that rubric? Oh, not at all. If you look at our, our you know, period of development, it's probably in the last three decades. Whereas, you know, the Western world have had their cars, have their locomotive, probably 80, 100 years before. And if you look at the CO2 that's in the world right now today, we're talking about past emissions causing global warming. Uh, so that's, a, that's an agreed basis for all countries at Paris Agreement, that developed countries have more responsibility because they have already enjoyed the fruits of economic progress, they have the resources and technology, and it is their responsibility to help developing countries move along uh, climate action. Right. So, so Singapore the, sees itself in the developing yes, we landscape are. in that. Yes, we are. Okay. Yes, we are. We mm. will maybe delve into some of those details uh, mm. because two years ago, the government launched the Singapore Green Plan 2030, which which takes a whole-of-nation approach to advance the national sustainable development agenda and achieve net zero. It's a really wide-ranging plan, yeah, encompassing many moving parts, various stakeholders. Before we touch on a few of the pillars, I would like to ask you, how are efforts being coordinated among the many players? And more importantly, how is progress actually being monitored? So first of all, the Green Plan really is an integrated plan. It's a whole-of-government plan. In fact, it's an all-sector plan. Uh, There are many parts in there. It's not just for climate action. It's also for sustainable development. So give you an example. Uh, we're talking about sustainable development with regard to, say, food 
resources. Mm-hmm. And Singapore wants to look at the resilient future when our food supply is actually more secure. So we're thinking, you know, we are working on building our own capability. When we start growing food onshore, uh, we are actually importing carbon onshore. Mm. So because we need energy, we need water to grow our own food. So actually our carbon footprint would actually increase. So if we're really just working on climate action or mitigation, that's not something we'll do. But also we see that for a sustainable development model, we need to look at our own food provision. So that's really a balanced plan, taking into consideration our needs on sustainable development goals as well as on climate action. And it requires trade-offs, yeah? Because Absolutely as you said, many, we are still going trade-offs. to be creating carbon emissions. It's just a matter of where and how and how efficient that we can make them. Absolutely. So, so for example, in the area of water provision or waste management, we generate carbon emissions. So while we are doing that, we need to look at you know how do we reduce energy needs over time, mm. and that's the kind of targets that we place on all the agencies that's that's involved in the Singapore Green Plan. So, my ministry coordinates that. We have Ministry for Trade and Industry coming in on green economy as well as on energy mix. We have Ministry Ministry for Transportation coming in on transportation. So, for example, how do you provide more public transportation, more paths for Cycling, more paths for pedestrian, walk, ride instead of driving, for example. And how do you move from a ICE sort of transportation mode to an electric mm. uh, vehicle mode? So that's MOT. And then we have uh, MND, which is national development. So they look at how do you provide more greenery? How do we conserve the green areas in Singapore? And also how do you reduce energy footprint on a built environment, our buildings, for example? Mm-hmm. And we have Ministry of Education looking at use, using the school curriculum as a way to promote the idea about climate action and also using our schools really as an experiment, as a way, you know, as notes where environmental technologies, for example, can be implemented. Uh, so this is really, uh, you know, multi-ministry, multi-agencies plan mm. to move Singapore forward. At the same time, you also have the National Climate Change Secretariat under the Prime Minister's office. You have an interministerial climate change committee. How do those those uh, organizations or bodies interact with with what you're doing with the Singapore Green Plan? So uh, internally, the government works through the the interministerial climate change uh, committee. So the ministers that I mentioned earlier are all part of this committee and is chaired by a senior minister. Uh, so overall coordination of all these issues where trade-offs are debated, mm. uh, sometimes quite uh, rigorously and sometimes over several rounds of refinements so that we can have a landing point that takes consideration all the needs of different ministries and agencies. So after that, after decisions are taken, then it goes into the green plan, it goes into revising the green plan, updating the green plan and in communicating Respective ministries will do that, but basically my ministry will coordinate the green plan and make sure that the green plan is updated. Okay, so you're the one monitoring the progress and making sure that that's being communicated to the public as well. Yes, I'm pulling that together. We're making that communication and also external facing. So I bring that green plan to, say, the UN um, forum. I'm speaking to Grace Fu, the Minister for Sustainability and Environment of Singapore. After the break, how is the government managing sustainability imperatives and cost of living concerns. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U Mobile. 5G makes business sense. 
Thanks for staying tuned to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mokhtar and with me today is the Minister for Sustainability and Environment of Singapore, Grace Fu. Earlier we were discussing Singapore's Green Plan 2030, the different uh, responsibilities of the government stakeholders. I'd like to zoom in on one of the five pillars of the Green Plan, and that is on the energy reset. So presently, over 90% of Singapore's electricity generation comes from natural gas, arguably the cleanest fossil fuel, but uh, still a carbon emitter. And although you have some capacity for solar power generation, it's not going to be enough to cover Singapore's electricity needs, which means importation of renewable energy is going to be crucial. We do have a lack of regional infrastructure when it comes to RE at the moment. Where do you see your imports coming from? Well, we have started a, a little importation pilot, 100 megawatts, uh, that comes from, uh, I, I believe, is Lao. Uh, and that has allowed us to test whatever grid system that we have and sort out all the regulatory, all the technical issues uh, for that grid to happen. It took a very long time for that pilot project to come up, It though. did. It did. Yeah, it's about time. So we're very happy from MSE's point of view to see this really getting into action. And I think that's... Uh, in a way, uh, proving the concept for all of us as involved. And we hope to see the, a bigger, more extensive and more robust uh, ASEAN grid uh, being a reality. And that will actually add energy resilience to the system. It's not for Singapore, it's for all countries that are participating. So anyone actually can, can come in and support one another. As you know, when you run systems, sometimes you do have problems in one area. And if you're on your own, and that's the only system that you have, it's not going to be very resilient. But if you have a grid system, System. So if one's down and you have you know, supply from another to support it, I think it makes for better energy security. Where do you see the obstacles to coming up with this ASEAN grid? Well, a lot, of course, is cross-boundary. So I think international collaboration is most important. Uh, I think our pilot uh, project has proven that, you know, we can sort, we can go above some of the regulatory, some of the legal issues. So really, it's now for political will for the countries to participate actively. Earlier this year, the Malaysian government uh, lifted our ban on export of renewable energy. And I'm wondering how Singapore is viewing this. How are discussions with Malaysia shaping up in terms of a cross-border mechanism that would allow us to export renewable energy to Singapore? Well, I'm not personally involved in the negotiation, but I, I, I would like to say that, uh, no, you know, there's a lot of momentum going on this front mm. uh, because um, increasingly, uh, countries are seeing this new climate action really as in a new opportunity for new technologies and new sources of energy. So countries, uh, I have one professor telling me that solar, for example, is the most democratic source of power because all parts of the world gets solar, right? So whether you are rich or poor, you get solar, hmm. the same amount, so arguably. So you can actually tap this new source of energy, the cost of providing solar has dropped significantly over time. So actually, this is a new source of um, economic opportunity. Uh, and and it's, it's there for every country to participate. And so as the world transit to alternative energy sources, I think it's really worthwhile for all of us to take a pause and say, how do I play? How do I participate as the world transit? What Who will be the winner? And how can I be there picking the winner? And how can I, you know, find alternative uh, way of, of um, exportation and also getting, you know, trade for the country? I guess 
the way I see it is Singapore is in that position where you really, in this sense, have to rely on the other countries uh, shaping up and, and stepping to the plate in order for you to be able to fulfill what your energy we needs are. We have been doing that for the last five decades because we don't supply anything for ourselves sufficiently. We import everything, energy, food, you know, all our goods. Uh, and so international trade has always been a big part, you know, of economy and, and our reason for existence, so to speak. Mm. So it's really important for us to work with countries uh, to look at this and, and, you know, this energy transition and and really find a pathway that's most suitable for us. Okay. Importation is one, but actually there's alternative. Sometime down the horizon, we're talking about alternatives such as hydrogen, such as ammonia that can take the place of fossil. We're still very nascent on those technologies. We're still though. a bit far away, no doubt about that. But, you know, it is not going to be a short game. We're not talking about what's going to happen in the next two years. We're talking about what's going to happen in the next 20 years. Okay. And with the amount of resources that's being invested in alternative energy sources, uh, something exciting is going to come out of this. Just like we are at the cups of like sort of internet. We didn't know what internet is going to do to our lives, right? Mm. But two decades on, two decades, not two years, not two months, two decades on and we see the full benefits of an IoT. So now this okay. is at that time as well. We know we're going to need an alternative form of energy. We mm. don't know what they, it is, what they are, what form and what shape, but it's going to come and it's going to totally revolutionize our energy mixes okay. around the world. So that's how you're also trying to persuade uh, partners to, to look at it. Can I just ask, earlier this year, Dutch private banking firm Van Landschot Kempen opted to exclude Singapore state-backed debt from its investment portfolios over environmental ri risks related to your energy mix, among others, I think. Are you concerned that more investors, rightly or wrongly, might take a similar view, that uh, they look at an economy, its present energy mix, they might decide to withhold financing or that financing will dry up? Well, there's a lot of flux in that area now. What is green investment? What's not? Uh, so we need to do a lot of education, uh, both ways, for investments, company, investors to be more discerning uh, and not to invest in you know, uh, investment projects that's going to do net harm to the planet. But at the same time, also, they have to be quite realistic and pragmatic about helping com companies or countries transit. Mm. Because we can't get to a zero, net zero world today. Uh, that's why we have a 2050 timeline mm. for us to transit. Mm -hmm. And you have to really be discerning enough to know whether countries or companies are making the effort to transit. So it's not a, what are you doing right now? What's your ambition right now? But what are you doing going forward? What's the rate of change? Is it in the right direction? Is it moving fast enough? Mm. Uh, so it's not about putting and say, oh, you are emitting too much, but rather... Are you progressing? Are you decarbonizing? Mm. So that's really the, the questions that I think investors need to ask. Both directions, whole countries and companies to accountable to their NDCs mm. and make sure that what they promise in their targets, in their plans are being implemented. Okay. But do not take an absolute absolute position. The say, black and white position is where things start to get That you are too difficult. high or you're too low. Because mm. we all have different starting points. We have different economic structure. 
I want to touch on this decarbonization effort. And the centerpiece of Singapore's plan is arguably the introduction of a carbon tax in 2019. Uh, it has been initially priced at $5. Sing dollars. It's going to be increased to $25 sing dollars next year, with a view to reaching between $50 to $80 sing dollars by 2030. The hike in carbon tax is coming at a time when the global economic outlook is cloudy at best. Singapore's economy has taken a hit this year because of external weakness, with GDP growth projected to fall to just 1%. Will higher carbon taxes next year have negative consequences for economic sentiment. You know, the last few years have been very tough for everyone. Uh, We're talking about Ukraine war really impacting energy prices, food prices, fertilizers, for example. Uh, at the same time, uh, it has also, coming out of COVID, uh, it has really, you know, weakened many governments in terms of, you know, their financial positions. So it's not the best conditions for climate action. Mm. Admittedly, that's, that's the position that we are in. Carbon tax, on the other hand, uh, we are very mindful that it's really not a source of revenue for the government. Okay. We have publicly said that whatever that we're collecting from carbon tax is going to go into the sector. It's really a way to cause change. So we tax the emitter very fairly from the first tonne of emission. It's not from a certain cap or certain limit. We do not exempt sectors as well. So all the sectors that Emit, large emitters will get taxed, including some government uh, infrastructure. But then we're going to put in whatever they have collected uh, into energy efficiency projects. So if you have a new technology, you have a new equipment, you have a new process that you want to implement to reduce um, carbon emission, come to the government, government will give a grant, co-invest mm-hmm. with you. Mm. So we have already said that in the first few years of this carbon tax regime, the government is actually going to put in more than we have collected. Because what we really want is to tax the emitter and then give back, on the other hand, maybe to the same company who's putting measures to reduce emission. Mm-hmm. So it's really to cause a change for companies to say, hey, if I'm going to pay the government in taxes $25 or $45 per tonne, if I have a technology that's cost me $10 per tonne, it makes sense. But not when carbon emission does not attract any tax. Mm. When it's free to just emit CO2, there's no externalities that's being caused by companies. Industry doesn't see an environmental impact uh, of their actions. Then I think we are heading in the wrong direction. So now we're making it explicit. And for companies to think, what can I do to reduce carbon emissions so as to save carbon tax to the government. And this is exactly what the carbon tax regime is set out to do. Okay, very, how to say, calibrated uh, to nudge all the different players to partake and to get public buy-in for this. Uh, Minister, in the minute that we have, uh, I would like to talk about Malaysia-Singapore ties and where you see a cooperation in the green economy going forward. How reliable a partner is Malaysia when you think about the food and water supplies that you need? Where do you see collaboration moving going forward? You know, every country will have to consider their, their requirements and also their context and, and also have to contextualise their decision making. So we have to work with partners. Malaysia is our closest neighbour. There are many linkages between the two countries. Uh, on the environmental side, we're talking about we are sharing the same 
channel. We have to make sure that, you know, the marine life around us, the shared space that we have are protected. Uh, sometimes we share the same airspace. So air quality is a common problem amongst us. Has political so, change on our end affected how you plan for this? Oh, we always have to uh, sort of, you know, meet up with our new counterparts and establish relations again. And of course, I think like all countries, we make decisions really taking into consideration all factors. So that's an important, uh, you know, uh, consideration to establish, you know, relations uh, with Malaysia. And we do that. And that's the reason why I'm here also, to call on my counterparts, to introduce myself and to meet people and, and to say that, hey, you know, we are here to explain our policy context and, and hope to, to create friendship going forward. Minister Fu, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you, Shazana. I've been speaking to Grace Fu, Minister for Sustainability and Environment of Singapore. This has been The Breakfast Grill on BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G makes business sense. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.